like to say good morning to each of you here today. And if you consider yourselves to be visitors, we are especially glad that you've decided to be here with us this morning to worship our God in spirit and in truth. I've enjoyed the song service very much, Brother Sean. I, I know the Bible says to sing with the spirit and with the understanding, and I've been feeling that this morning. I want to bring before your consideration a few thoughts from the book of Job, and so I would invite your attention there to the first chapter. If you have a Bible with you, or if you have a Bible application that you want to open and follow, uh, please do so this morning. We'll spend some time there in God's Word in the eighth verse of the first chapter of the book of Job. And so I'm posing a question this morning, is God confident in me? What does God see in me? And so this morning, I want to, to consider from a different perspective how we can be pleasing to God. We spend a lot of time, and rightly so, with our presentation to our church family, uh, in presentation to the world. We want to draw people to Christ, and so we want to put our best foot forward in that. But this morning... Above all, I want us to consider, is God confident in me? What does God see in me when he sees me? And so let's read verse number 8 of Job chapter 1 this morning. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God, and escheweth evil. We know the story of Job quite well. Even if we have trouble remembering every aspect or every detail, we still have a pretty good grasp of the story of Job. And so we understand that Job went through a lot of hardships, a lot of trials, a lot of tribulations, a lot of problems, challenges, obstacles, whatever adjective you want to give to the life that he had to live uh, at some point. And so God says, have you considered my servant Job? Have you considered my servant Dale? Have you considered my servant Elizabeth? Have you considered my servant Philip? Have you considered my servant Andrea? Have you considered my servant? The fact of the matter is, and there is a record of, of a clear fact here, Job was under observation. God was watching him. He was under intense scrutiny. But it was a delightful observation. God asks Satan, have you considered Job? Which suggests that God had already considered Job himself. He's asking, have you considered? God watches us all the time, brethren. He sees everything. We cannot hide from our Father. We cannot hide from God or keep anything secret. He's omniscient. I want to invite your attention quickly to the book of Psalms, chapter 139 the 139th Psalm, I want to read verses 2 and 3. The Bible makes the point clear here in Psalm 139, verse 2 and verse 3. The Bible says, Thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. There's no hiding from God. God is watching. He's watching me. He's watching you. What does he see? 
And so this morning, we're kind of turning this a bit of a 180, a bit of a 360, maybe that far, certainly turning it on its ear, instead of how we look at God or how we present ourselves to the world to draw people to God, how does God look at us? What does God see in us? Is God confident in me? You know, the question gives me a lot of comfort. The, the comment that God makes here in the 8th verse comforts me quite a bit. That God considers me, God considered Job, God considers all of his children. And so it brings me great comfort in many ways to consider that God has considered me. So how do I measure up? It's a tall order. There, there's no denying that. We get it. Uh, but how do we measure up in the sight of God? And so from this verse, we see four specific considerations, four specific characteristics or four character traits that God himself has emphasized. And certainly this is not the end-all, be-all list of characteristics or qualities uh, or character traits that we as Christians must possess, but God has emphasized these four. When God asks Satan, have you considered Job? And then he immediately lists those four traits. And I want to look at those four traits this morning for the rest of our time together. And so you can see on the screen behind me, Job chapter 1, verse 8. And I'm emphasizing those four aspects that God emphasizes in this verse. Uh, a perfect, an upright man, someone who fears God and someone who eschews evil. So maybe a couple of those terms are not quite what we might use in the 21st century, and so we want to explore those this morning. But notices, notice what God says about Job. Notice his delightful observation. He does call Job his servant. He speaks highly of Job's service. He says, there is none like him. Really? In the entire earth, there's none like Job? You know, God gives us a synopsis of Job, kind of from his perspective. It's one of the rare occasions in Scripture when we can see God actually pointing out a specific individual and saying something very specific about the individual. And so instead of thinking this so much corporately or collectively, we should personalize what God says right here. We should make it personal. We should have a personal relationship with our God, with our Heavenly Father. And so what does God expect from us? How does God look at us? And so God provides essentially a biographical sketch. This is a repetition of the very first verse that we read here in Job chapter 1. You know, we sometimes read biographies. I enjoy reading them. I know several of you enjoy reading uh, biographies of different individuals. And we know that biographies, they run the gamut from the entire life, the totality of, of a person's life, to expounding upon really a, a single year or even a single moment in a person's life. And so many worldly biographies include the following. They include dates and places of birth. They include the death. They include family information. They include lifetime accomplishments. And that seems to take up the bulk of biographies, major events in life, and even the effects or the results or the impact that that individual had on their society, uh, even to the extent of historical significance. So that's what we typically think of maybe when we think of biographies. But God presents a biography of Job from a very biblical, spiritual perspective. And it's worthy of our consideration this morning. Let's put ourselves in the shoes of Job this morning. Do we have these characteristics? 
Would God say today that Zoel or that you have these characteristics, that you are trying to live in this way? I want to invite your attention again to the book of Psalms in the fifth chapter, Psalms chapter number five, and I want to read verse number 21, Psalms the fifth chapter and the 21st verse. It'd help if I'd get the right verse. I would go back to Psalms 139 in the first two verses again, where we know that God watches all, He sees all. That's the idea that I want to bring forward uh, from that verse. But going back to Job chapter 1, in verse number 8, we can examine Job, we can examine God's confidence in Job, and then as we are doing that, let each of us consider our own character and personalize this matter. What does God see in me? What character traits did Job possess that please God? And so we want to consider those this morning, starting with the very first one. From Job chapter 1 and verse number 8, God says that Job was perfect. There's a lot to be said about this verse. <clears throat> A lot, to be, a lot of, to be said about this particular point. And so from a 21st century perspective, I think we, we, we look at the word perfect as being something that is beyond measurement, that uh, we are the pinnacle of, of some standard. Uh, and that's not what is referred to here about Job when God calls him perfect. Uh, you can see on the board there, it's not without sin. It's not some 21st century perspective, but rather uh, a biblical perspective. We, we take the definition perfect from Strong's number 8535. It means to be complete. This term does not mean that Job was without sin, for only Jesus was sinless. We know that. Remember, it was Paul who told us that Jesus was made for sin, who knew no sin. We read of that in 2 Corinthians 5 and 21. That's probably the verse I was thinking about. <clears throat> the term perfect does not mean, or it does mean, that Jesus was without blemish. But here, in reference to Job, it means that he was uh, not without blemish. Notice Job here in the very first chapter, verse number 5. Job makes sacrifice for himself, for his children, in the event that either had committed sin against God. Thus, he, he didn't allow sin to fester. He didn't allow sin to grow in his life. He didn't give place for sin. And he began each day by asking for God's blessing. How can we implement the same mindset? Do we begin each day by asking for God's blessing? Is that how we uh, are trying to reach this goal of perfection? Something else that we might consider as a meaning of this term perfect, is that uh, Job was spiritually mature. We might consider going over to the book of Hebrews, chapter number 6, in the very first verse. Hebrews chapter number 6, in the very first verse. Here the Bible says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection. What does that mean? Going on unto perfection. The writer of Hebrews here shares with us that God wants us to be growing, always growing in our faith. That we never get to a point where we think, I'm squared away, and now I'm just ready for resurrection. 
but instead that we're growing, that we're developing, that we're enhancing uh, our character traits as Christians, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection. I love what Strong's says in its definition of this word perfection from Hebrews chapter 6 and verse number 1. It defines it as a completer, a finisher. And think about all the many verses that we can uh, go to. Hebrews chapter 12 and the first three verses consider Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. How are we trying to be more complete, to finish the race that we have begun? How are we trying to reach that goal of spiritual maturity, of perfection as we understand it in Scripture? Read with me in, in Romans chapter number 5, Romans the fifth chapter. I want to read verses 2 through 4. Romans chapter number 5, verses 2 through 4. Here the Bible says in Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse number 2, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience and patience experience and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. And so we need to be going on unto perfection. We need to be moving forward. We need to practice this completeness. We need to be attempting to finish the race that we have begun. <clears throat> After we become Christians, we are not only to learn more about God, about Christ, but also to learn to live more for Him. And we look at that, we see that in the life of Job. When God says, there is none like him in the earth. Really. You know, later in the book of Job, we read about other nations of people. The Chaldeans, the Sabaeans, and others. And so Job and his family were not the only ones on the face of the earth. But out of the hundreds of thousands, I don't know the number, maybe the millions of people, Job is the only one that God can point to and say, have you considered him and the character traits that he possesses? Maybe some of his family members had some of those character traits that we read about in verse number 8. But Job had all four of those. God emphasizes all four. Also here in, in the book of Job, chapter 1 and verse number 8, we see that God says of Job that he was upright. He was upright. Without getting into too deep of a word study here, take a look at the word. It's a follower of what is up and a follower of what is right. When I think of up, I think of vertical. How often are we thinking vertically rather than horizontally? We look around at our circumstances. I know I'm guilty of this. Seeing what's right in front of me, seeing what's on the right or the left-hand side of me. <clears throat> Tomorrow, for example, Amanda and I have to go for a PET scan. You all know that she's had to deal with cancer. And we are very hopeful and very prayerful that this is the end of, of our cancer journey, so to speak. Uh, and so hopefully we can count on you to pray for a good report from the doctor for this PET scan. Uh, but we have all of these situations and like tragedies involved in our lives, and yet we need to look up. We need to look to our Father. Who, to whom was Job looking? He was looking to God. When he was suffering, all that he did, who was he looking to? <clears throat> How often are we looking up? How often are we trying to be a follower of that which is right? <clears throat> so upright. 
Again, I would point to Strong's number 3477 in the Hebrew, and it's simply defined there, simply defined as the word straight. Straight. To be upright means to be straight. And I, of course, cannot help but think of what Jesus said, to follow the straight and narrow path that leads to righteousness. So this means that Joel was a person whose reputation basically demonstrated to everybody that he would follow God's plan. He would follow God's will. He would follow the commands of God. The person with this attribute does the direct opposite of the kind of people recorded in the book of Proverbs, chapter number 2. Let me invite your attention there for just a moment to the book of Proverbs, the second chapter. We read here of the opposite of all of that. Proverbs chapter 2 and verses 12 and 13. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 2 in the 12th verse, the Bible says, To deliver thee from the way of the evil man, from the man that speaketh froward things, who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. The people in this world do not need more people like them. They need people like Job, who are willing to buck the system, so to speak, and to follow that straight and narrow path. Job was not only challenged by Satan, of, of course we know that, but he was also challenged in a way by his own wife. You know, we read about all of his calamities. We read about his literal physical suffering. And, and we don't have to rehash all of that this morning. We understand the story of Job. We see him mourning later in this chapter. The very last couple of verses of Job chapter 1, we, we see all these problems that he has to go through, that he has to encounter. And while in this state of mourning, Job's wife comes to him in the next chapter and basically says, denounce God. That's basically what she says. We, we know that part of the story too, no doubt. Dost thou still retain thine integrity? She says, curse God and die. But what is his response to her? In chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God and shall we not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. When we consider what Job's wife has said, I think a lot of times we, we have a misconception, or at least I have had a misconception. I, I've looked at that and thought, how cruel, how harsh. Uh, that's even arguably a form of harassment. That in his suffering, she is worsening his suffering by harassing him in this way. He was suffering. But remember that he is not the only one suffering in this story. No, he, he was suffering physically, yes, but no, his wife did not suffer the same physical calamities that Job did. But yet maybe she was suffering as well. Job's wife had to stand by helpless watching her husband suffer all the while. And so perhaps we do tend to think her comments are cruel, but she makes these comments not out of cruelty, but because of the suffering that she herself cannot remove. She, she wants to end his pain and suffering. She wants to end this problem, make it go away. This is the way to do it, she says. And Job still retains his integrity. You know, I've probably said a hundred times or a hundred times over anyway how many times I would love physically to remove the problem that Amanda's had to deal with over the years. And let me take it. Let, let me deal with it, right? Because I think somehow I'm, I'm going to do it better or, or because then she doesn't have to suffer with all of that. And so maybe Job's wife has the same idea about Job. She wants that to be removed in however way it can be. And so, yes, Job's wife loved Job. I love my spouse unconditionally, unequivocally. 
but she is my 9.9, and God is my perfect 10. And so above all else, I have to serve God, even in the privacy of my own home, even when no one else is watching but my wife, I still have to serve God in this way, just as Job uh, does here in the text. And so Job proves to his wife and to us by extension that his faith in God was genuine, that it was unwavering. And so many people, yes, only serve God to praise him during good times, but when unforeseen and undesired events arise, these same people are quick to deny God, to be upset with God, to, to leave God. Job was upright. His character and his faith were undaunted in the face of these tragic situations. And what an example he proved to be. Many times I hear people quote uh, the familiar verse from Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, and you can probably quote that verse as well. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And so what is this verse communicating? Many say that this verse tells us that all things are good, and, but that's not true. Because of that misinterpretation of the verse, I've known people to stop serving the Lord when bad things came their way, when, when God allowed a tragedy to occur in their life, they just, they left. They were done because it wasn't a good thing. Do you like being sick? Do you like having an automobile accident? Nobody likes having a, a limb amputated or seeing a loved one die. None of those things are good. They're all bad. They're tragic even. But let us consider what Job tells his wife. God uses good times but he uses the bad times and even tragic times, brethren, to bring about his will. And so therefore, to those who love God and are called according to his purpose, yes, all things work together to bring about the will of God. We are to be upright in good, in bad, and in tragic times, no matter what's going on in our lives, no matter the circumstances. God knows what he is doing. Something else that we see that God has emphasized about Job here besides his uprightness, is that he feared God. Job was the kind of man who, yes, reverenced God and had such a deep respect for him that he wanted always to be pleased with him. What about you? What about me? Do I have such a high regard for God that I respect him above all others? Do we strive to please God and put ourselves in the center of his will? You know, Paul said that God had concluded that all people had fallen short of his glory. We read of this in Romans chapter 3 in verse 23. And one of the reasons or one of the evidences for this conclusion is found in the book of Romans chapter 3 in verse 18. And I would invite you to read that with me this morning in the book of Romans chapter number 3. <clears throat> Romans the third chapter in the 18th verse. This is one of the reasons why people have fallen short of God's glory. What does the writer here say in Romans chapter 3 and verse 18? The writer says, there is no fear of God before their eyes. We live in arguably one of the greatest nations on the face of the earth throughout entire history. And people live in this way. There's just no fear of God before their eyes. <clears throat> the psalmist in Psalms chapter 36 and verse 1, in speaking about man's wickedness and God's steadfastness, says the transgression of the wicked saith within mine heart that there is no fear of God before his eyes. Have you ever lost respect? Have you ever lost respect for God? Have you ceased to listen to him? Have you allowed worldly influences maybe to decrease or to lessen your faith? 
Think about all that Job had to go through. It would have been very easy. It would have been very easy for Job just to say, I don't understand your plan. I don't understand why I'm going through this. You've been good to me up to this point, but now I'm accepting all these hardships. My wife is also encouraging me to quit. So let's just, let's end this. It would have been very easy, but yet he perseveres through all of this. Solomon in all his wisdom told us that the fear of God would give us understanding and knowledge about God and ourselves. In Proverbs chapter 1 and verse number 7, the Bible says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. How knowledgeable are we? We need to start with that fear of the Lord as we see demonstrated in the life of Job. But fools, Solomon says, despise wisdom and instruction. Job feared God so much that even while his friends accused him of doing something evil to bring about the wrath of God, that Job had the assurance that God was simply teaching him some lessons that would give him a stronger faith and even more reverence for him. At the conclusion of Job's story in chapter 42, we read about the blessings of God upon this man. Literally, Job had more at the conclusion of the book than he had at the beginning. But he would not have reached that end unless he persevered, brethren. <clears throat> unless he maintained his fear of God. A healthy, a proper fear before his eyes. Is there a healthy, proper fear of God before my eyes? Before your eyes? <clears throat> How do we perceive God? Is God confident enough in us to say this about us? This is my servant, and yes, he or she has a proper and appropriate fear of God. <clears throat> Something else that we see about Job here that God emphasizes in his biographical sketch of Job is that Job eschewed evil. We may not use that term very much, eschew. It almost sounds like you're saying gazunheit or bless you or you, someone has just sneezed. So it's not really uh, all that readily available to us in the 21st century. It's not like people go around saying a shoe. Uh, and, and so simply stated, Job made wise choices. He tried to avoid sin at every turn. Yes, we could also turn to Strong's, and you see that number there, number 5493. I love the definition that Strong's provides for the word eschew, to turn off, to decline, and to rebel. Think about the contrast that that lays out. So many people in our world want to rebel against God. But what Strong's is defining here about the word eschew is that we rebel against sin. That we take that rebellion, that, that inclination to rebel, and we rebel against those temptations. That we rebel against those negative influences. That we eschew that evil as Job did. Can you imagine how tempting it must have been for Job to sit in ashes with a pot shirt scraping his skin and his wife in his ear just get it over with boy that sounds very easy done it would have been that easy brethren for him to do that but yet he had to be on guard we have to be on guard even with the whole armor of God we still have to be on guard every day to eschew that evil he made wise choices he avoided sin at every turn when Satan moved against Job and accused Job of being hedged about, as we read here in the story of Job, God says to Satan, what will you do? Job will never turn against me. Why was God so confident in Job? Because of Job's track record. Publicly, privately, Job had a solid reputation, a solid track record. He proved repeatedly that he was not one who was going to act hastily, 
but one who is going to trust God completely. And so look again at our text here in Job chapter 1 in verse number 8. God called Job his servant. God says a lot uh, of positivity about Job. Yes, Paul admonishes us in the wake of the coming of Jesus to do a few things as well. We read about these in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 14 to 22. To summarize that, among those things we should be doing are to witness to all concerning the truth of the scriptures, to treat others with respect, to rejoice in the prospect of the coming of Christ, to be in a continual attitude of prayer or communion with God. We should praise God in all things, live rightly so we will not quench the Holy Spirit, to accept the scriptures and heed them in our own life, to hold fast those things which have value for the service of God and to abstain from all appearance of evil. To eschew is talking about your choice. Think about the choices that Job made in his life. Think about the choices you make on a daily basis in your life. What can you do to help yourself succeed? How can we be more like Job? And above all, how can we be more like Christ? Yes, we live in a wicked world. We live in a fallen world. And we are constantly bombarded with negative influences, with temptations, with obstacles, you name it. We're constantly hit with that. And yet, we still need to be on guard, just like Job was. Satan tells God that Job's service was just a type of play acting. But if you'll remove that hedge, God, if you remove that hedge, Job will curse you to your face, right? So what Satan's argument is. And I think many people adopt that argument in the 21st century. They see or they assume that because we're Christians that everything is rosy. Everything is fine. We don't have trouble. We don't have problems. And so maybe we should open our mouths and talk more about that and draw people in and share those experiences with other people so that they can see, yes, Job was not superhuman. I am not superhuman. So there was nothing heroical about Job. There's nothing heroical about Zol. But yes, we are striving each and every day so that God has confidence in me, so that God has confidence in you. What does God see in us? God removed those excuses that Satan makes. He removes that hedge. We read of that in Job's story. He removed the hedge from Job's life. And even when God allowed Satan to fully attack Job's body, Job still remained faithful. He persevered through all of that. And so if you and I lose everything due to a series of calamities, would we still praise God? And so your answer to this question will either open or close the door to another question. Does God believe in you? We often think about how we believe in God, how we believe in Christ. Yes, without faith it is impossible to please God. So we must believe in Him. Hebrews 11 and verse number 6. But does God believe in us? Is God confident in our ability to get through this life and to reach the other side? We have a reward. It's been prepared for the faithful. We read of that also in Hebrews 11 and verse number 6. Yes, we must believe in God, but secondly, that he is a rewarder of them who do what? Diligently seek him, just like Job was doing. Read with me in conclusion in the book of Matthew, chapter number 25. I want to draw your attention there. Matthew, chapter number 25, as we draw this to a close this morning. 
the 25th chapter of the book of Matthew, in verse number 23, His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Don't you want this to be the conclusion? Think about the conclusion of Job's life. How is the conclusion of our life going to be? Are those the words that we're going to hear? Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. There's a lot more we can say about this. But certainly God has specific characteristics in mind that he wants to see in me, that he wants to see in you. Do we exhibit those characteristics? Is God well pleased with us? <clears throat> what does God see in me? What does God see in you? Is God confident in you? Is God confident in me? I thank you for your kind attention this morning. I don't know the hearts and minds of those present. We never like to conclude a, a sermon without an invitation. And so we would invite you, if you have been sufficiently taught the gospel of Christ and you want to accept Jesus in baptism, we would gladly assist you with that this morning. If you are a Christian and you feel the need for prayers of, of brothers and sisters in Christ, we can certainly pray with you and pray for you. Please come forward, sit on the front row. Someone will assist you as we stand and as we sing.